Good morning. Please be in prayer for our senior pastor. Pastor Stewart is uh, preaching at church downtown this morning, so be in prayer for him. One of our, I guess, really daughter churches just a few miles down the road, so be in prayer as they are worshiping and as he is preaching there as we hear God's Word here. If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord, say, I am. And if you have a copy of God's Word, say, I do. Amen. Well, I am and I do too. And if you would, make your way to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9. We're going to be just looking at about six verses there in Luke chapter 9 this morning. If you know me well at all, you know that I enjoy good coffee and I enjoy good food. I mean, can we get a witness here this morning? Amen. Like I knew in, in the in the you know I know you where kind of you you know that you know that you know that you're called to preach you know when you get that first real just, I mean as as a man when it was the first time that you can remember the smell of good fried chicken okay amen I mean that was that's just part of, part of being called to be a Baptist preacher so I I enjoy good coffee and I enjoy good food I don't try to overindulge. I'll have one or two good cups of coffee a day usually and try not to overeat, although sometimes I do, and I probably overate a little bit. Last night, we were invited to some friend's house and had a good time there, and they even asked what I wanted, and so that was like a no-brainer, you know. Um, obviously, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, green beans, biscuits, and gravy. I mean, if that doesn't just roll off a Baptist preacher's tongue, I don't know what does. And so I enjoyed, and then I enjoyed a little bit more, and then we just continued to worship, I mean, to eat together, okay? But we had a good time. Actually, it probably drives my wife a little crazy sometimes, because when I eat, sometimes you would probably think I was worshiping, because I get into it, okay? If, if, you, watch, if you see or watch me worship, hopefully at church, or whether I'm watching a game on TV, or whether I'm eating, I'm rather boisterous about whatever I'm doing. There's a lot of mmm and an all in and all that kind of stuff going on. I let you know if I appreciate a good will. By the way, a good meal. By the way, speaking of that, just a few months ago, I think it was the last uh, seniors lunch that I attended. I think it was back in April, actually. For those of you guys that don't know, we have a very active seniors um, group ministry here, and I think about every every month they go out to eat together. One month they they have a covered dish luncheon here at the church, and then the other month they go somewhere in Harrisonburg. And so usually when they have the lunch here, they invite the pastors and staff to come down and to eat with them. So we um, we went down, like, you know, I'm, I know it was in April, and, um, you know, enjoyed a meal with them. And I tell you, that day was both Wonderful and also heartbreaking. Here's the reason why I was heartbreaking. Because as I, every single bite, there's no word to describe how delicious it was. Every bite. Not a single thing store bought or, you know, from a can or a box or anything, right? I mean, we're talking home. I mean, I have to add a few extra O's and M's in there, like home, extra strong H, cooking, right? But it was heartbreaking as I sat there eating, every bite was delicious, and I started to think about, you know, 20, 25, 30 years when my generation are the seniors. I just started getting a little nervous, and my nervousness moved to heartbreak very quickly. And I I had this vision all of a sudden of, 
Folks my age in 20, 25 years coming to the door to a senior's luncheon carrying pizza boxes. <laughs> it's not funny. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. It's not funny. And by the way, speaking, of, there was this chicken casserole there. And I searched and searched for the recipe. And finally, Miss Braylo sent me a message. And she said, let's see, I think I even wrote it down. She said, I got the message. She said, Mike, I found the source of the casserole. It was Barbara Roller. So Mrs. Roller, are you, are you here in the building anywhere? Please, I need the recipe, okay? I need the recipe. But uh, what she's back serving with our kids. So I need the recipe. What probably would, would, uh, would concern me is she'll probably say, I don't really use a recipe. I just put a little bit of this. Am I right? Am I right? Oh, my goodness. But one thing I enjoy to say when I'm eating good food is I'll take a bite and I'll say, mm, just like mama, what? Used to make, right? Mm, it's just like mama used to make. And I love to say that and have a little bit of fun there. And my mom can make a mean banana pudding, okay? I'm just going to tell you. She can make a mean banana pudding and a yellow cake with chocolate icing that all of you would line up at the door and wait for a bite, okay? I don't know. Probably all of us have those kinds of things where you can think of your mother or your grandmother or someone in your life that kind of made that special thing. It came to my grandmother. She could not just make a pound cake, but it was a sour cream pound cake. Anybody ever had a sour cream pound cake? All right. I'm not kidding. I went up to college. My grandmother even had this special round tin, all right, you guys remember the, t- the, the pound cake tins? They, my mom actually gave me that tin when my grandmother passed away. I would come home from college, and I would just know, I would go into the kitchen at my grandmother's home, she'd be baking a pound cake. And I would take that back to college with me, and when the guys would see me coming with that, I would say, get away, okay? <laughs> I love you in Jesus' name, but you better move, okay? Because you're not getting any of this pound cake, right? But I'd always love, you know, to... Uh, to say that, just like grandma would make, or just like mama used to make. Well, this morning as we look at Luke chapter 9, and, and the verses are going to be somewhat or maybe even rather familiar to us, here is kind of the, the question that I'm posing to you. Would Jesus even recognize it? You know, we understand what we're saying when we, when we say, just like mama used to make, what we're really talking about is not necessarily how she did it, but what she did, meaning in what were the results? What did it look like? What did it taste like? You know, if you were to close your eyes, you would think that, that she was still there in the room. You would really believe that this was the genuine thing. This morning, as we look at these verses in Luke chapter 9, My question to you and my question to me is, if Jesus were to really show up, and this morning I'm not talking about here in the life of this church here at 105 Garland. I'm not talking about Calvary Baptist Church. I'm asking you to put your name on the line. I'm saying, first and foremost, before you are a part of this church, you're a part of His church and His body. Amen? Before you can ever join Calvary Baptist Church... You've got to know Jesus and have a personal relationship with Him. 
And so basically what I'm asking you this morning, what I'm asking me is, would Jesus recognize the kind of Christianity that we're cooking up? You know, if, if someone was to, to ask you, give me a book in the Bible, if I could just read one book of the Bible that, that really kind of would serve as, as a system, as systematic theology, would kind of walk me through the, the, the core beliefs, the core doctrines of the faith, I would clearly say, and probably every conservative theologian would say, go to the book of Romans. Yeah, it's, it's deep, it's heavy, but, but dig in and, and you'll see those core doctrines of the faith. If somebody were to say, what about the church, the New Testament church? I've got a new church or a struggling church. And give me, if we're just going to kind of camp out in a book of the Bible for a while, then what, what book should we camp out in? And I would say unequivocally go to 1 Corinthians. Most every theologian would, would say that the book of 1 Corinthians is essentially the Bible's handbook on the church, the New Testament church. What should a church look like and smell like and act like and talk like? But this morning, as we look at this idea of what is the picture of a true disciple of Christ, I really believe that we can go no further than Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. And here's what the Bible says. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 60. Then Jesus said to him, meaning someone else, let the dead, excuse me, then he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And then another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, this morning, we're asking ourselves this question, arguably uh, an extremely important question. Would, would Jesus recognize the kind of Christianity that, that we are cooking up as we live, as we walk, as we talk? And we know the, the privilege, the advantage, if you will, that Jesus has is the Bible makes it very clear that God does not look on the outward appearance of man, but the Bible says that God looks on the what? The Bible says that God looks on the heart. So he knows our intentions. He knows our motives. He knows us like no one else. In 2005, Todd Agnew, he wrote a song entitled, My Jesus. I want you to listen to these lyrics. It said, which Jesus do you follow and which Jesus do you serve? It says, if Ephesians says to imitate Christ, then why do you look so much like the world? Because my Jesus bled and died, and he spent his time with thieves and liars. He loved the poor and accosted the arrogant. So which one do you want to be? We all know that Jesus was accused, rightly so, of being a friend of sinners. It goes on to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Or do we pray to be blessed with the wealth of this land? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. But do we ache for another taste of this world of shifting sand? Because my Jesus bled and died for my sins. He spent his time with thieves and sluts and liars. He loved the poor and accosted the rich. So which one do you want to be? Who is this that you follow? This picture of the American dream. If Jesus was here, would you walk right by on the other side or fall down and worship at his holy feet? Pretty blue eyes and curly brown hair and a clear complexion is how you see him as he dies for your sins. But the word says he was battered and scarred. Or did you miss that part? It says sometimes I doubt whether or not we would even recognize him. Because my Jesus, he bled and died. He spent his time with thieves and the least of these. He loved the poor and accosted the comfortable. Which one do you want to be? And here's the part that always has gotten me. Because my Jesus would never be accepted in my church because the blood and dirt on his feet might stain the carpet. But he reaches for the hurting and despises the proud. And he'd prefer the Bill Street to the stained glass crowd. I want to be like my Jesus. You know, we say a lot of things and we sing a lot of things. And I've said before that oftentimes there are songs that I sing during worship, whether I'm leading worship or even messages that I preach, is that I say, God, I'm not there yet, but this is my prayer. This is my goal. This is my aim. Help me to desire you more than I desire this world. The very last stanza, it says this. Because you said to live like you and to love like you, but then you died. Can I be like you? I want to be like my Jesus. I want to be like my Jesus. Jesus gives us these three different encounters that he had with with some that were calling to him and another and he was calling to them and saying, this is what it looks like to follow me. David Platt, incidentally, who who is currently the president of our International Mission Board at Southern Baptist, here's what he wrote. He said, the key is realizing and believing that this world is not your home. He said, if I ever hope to free our lives from worldly desires, worldly thinking, worldly pleasures, worldly dreams, worldly ideals, worldly values, hopefully you're getting the point, worldly ambitions and worldly acclaim, then we must focus our lives on another world. I've been a good time to say amen there, but this is hard, isn't it? It's a hard teaching. We're going to look at, uh, somewhere here in just a moment where even the disciples themselves said, this is a hard teaching. He said, we must focus our lives on another world. Though you and I live in the United States of America now, we must fix our attention on a better country, a heavenly one. 
Though you and I find ourselves surrounded by the lure of temporary pleasure, we must fasten our affections on the one who promises eternal treasure that will never spoil or fade. Hallelujah. If your life or my life is going to count on earth, we must start by concentrating on heaven. For then and only then is what Platt writes, that will you and I be free to take radical risk knowing that what awaits us is radical reward. That's the foundation of where we're going today. And, and you know, it was interesting that, um, as, as most of you know, last week I announced that I've been endorsed by North American Mission Board and selected to get a direct commission, become a chaplain active duty, serving Marines and sailors and their families as a Navy chaplain. I was uh, looking on the uh, Jump School website a few days ago. Sorry, Mom. Sorry to tell you it already. But actually, chaplains do qualify to go through Jump School. So we'll see. But I was looking at that and some of the training and some of what those things looked like. And most of it has, most of the jump school training has taken place in North Carolina at Fort Bragg, where the Army has their airborne jump school. Other things have developed since. But long story short, there are other services that all train together. And there are times, believe it or not, that our government actually does do something that makes sense, right? And they said, let's save a little money and let's train together. And so... But I was looking at those troops that were training and practicing how to land and fall and roll and all that stuff when you, after jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. But anyway, but it was obvious who was who because the uniforms were different. The majority were army soldiers, but there were a few Marines that were there in the crowd. And it was easy for me to tell them apart because the uniform was different. They stood out from the rest. My question to you this morning and my question to me this morning is do you stand out from the world? You know, I have a friend who um, is a missionary and he spent much of his missionary career um, really in the UK and in England and those kind of places where obviously most folks are are white, so you don't know whether they're Australian, American, English from England, or where they're from. And so he said, but there was one particular time that I was in this cathedral-type place, and, and he said, I was looking across this courtyard, and he said, I could just pick out who the Americans were by how loud they were, by the way they talked. He said, it was just obvious I could pick them out. But as we look at this passage this morning, we look at these three responses I'm asking you. Is it obvious by the way that you talk and by the way that you live your life? Do people know that you are a serious follower of Jesus Christ? I dare say that, that everyone in the room is, is a good American and good citizens. And, and most of us have our little, uh, you know, Wait, we don't even have decals on the, uh, on the windshield anymore, right? Anyway, we've got our inspection stickers done and all that stuff, right, Chief Williams? We're trying to obey the law. So we're trying to do the right thing and say the right thing. But you know, at the end of the day, is it that people look at you and say, well, he's a good guy, or is people look at you and say, he's different and they want to know why? That guy, what is it? As we look at this passage, it, there really are just a, a couple of questions I think we have to answer is, do we believe Jesus and are we willing to obey him? 
Look again in verse 57. It says, it happened as they journeyed on. And someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Apparently, this first guy that called out to the Lord, he, he volunteered until he heard the cost. Until he heard the cost. Until he realized that he actually had to deny himself. He said, whoa, whoa that's, that's really more than I bargained for. That, that's more than I'm really after. One theologian speculated and said, apparently, he loved his own comfort more than he loved God himself. I'll be honest with you, as we were leaving Zambia to come back to the States, I really struggle with that very issue because I know that one of the things I enjoy is I enjoy being comfortable. You know, every year we would um, go down to South Africa for an annual mission meeting. And one of my favorite parts of the trip, it was like a two and a half day drive, okay? Driving about eight to ten hours a day and then we would sleep and then drive more than sleep and a lot of stressful border crossings and all that kind of thing. But one of my favorite parts of the trip was after we made it through the, the Zimbabwe border at a place called Bite Bridge that was very stressful and then we would go and cross into through the South African border and then make our way into South Africa. As soon as we crossed through those gates and entered into South Africa, the roads were smooth. Felt like we were in America again. Obviously, where we lived in Zambia, a developing country to say the least, the roads were bad and we were constantly shaking and being thrown around and so forth, but we loved the roads. I think it was one of those trips that I told myself... No matter what, one day, it might be, you know, many years down the road, I said, one day, I'm going to have me a Cadillac. When I get back to America, I'm going to have a Cadillac. It's a smooth ride, you know. I told my wife that on that Cadillac, one day would be Florida tags, but she's still not quite so convinced about that. But, uh, but comfort, the little G God of comfort. We love it. I love it, you know. And arguably, that's, that's one of the things that we as Americans that we hold on to so tightly. And again, truth in advertising, I, you know, for those of you that, that know where we live, we live in a, you know, a relatively nice neighborhood, and we live in a, you know, relatively nice house. I like being comfortable. I like when the breezes are blowing and the, there's plenty of food on the table and plenty of ice cream in the freezer. Amen. I like being comfortable. But it only becomes a real problem when that desire to be comfortable is stronger than our desire to follow. Look at verse 59. This one, Jesus actually gave the invitation. He said, follow me. But then, but then he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. You see, the, the first guy was loving comfort, but the second guy was all about lip service. It was all about lip service. And you know, there have been quite a few years now that, that I have tried to make it my aim as a follower of Christ. I hopefully and prayerfully am a follower of Christ long before I'm a pastor. Amen? 
That comes first. Never, never get those things out of order. That regardless of what kind of leadership that you're in, regardless of, of what you do in the church, it's about who you are before it's about what you do. What you do flows from who you are. Let's be sure that we never get those two things out of order. If you're with me, say, I am. It's about who you are. So the first guy was, was all about loving his own comfort, but, but this guy was just really rendering lip service. And as I've desired to, to follow Jesus, I've often shunned at how many times the Christian cliches, basically those things that would be on bumper stickers, is what fills our speech more than authentic conversation and a lifestyle that reflects the gospel. The next time you find yourself just allowing something to mindlessly flow out, I want you to challenge yourself and say, is this really true of me? Or is it just something we say when we're talking to other Christians or to fill our conversation or to fill our prayers? That guy was all about lip service. He was actually called to by Jesus, God himself. What an honor that Jesus had spoken to him. But again, he rejected the call because he didn't want to take up the cross. Warren Wearsby, he said it this way. He said he was worried about somebody else's funeral when he should have been planning his own. Take a minute and let that sink in. The call to follow is a call to die. All of you know Galatians 2.20 so well where it says that I've been crucified with Christ. The Bible says it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by, you know what comes next? Faith. I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loves me and gave himself for me. Obviously, guys, let's, let's understand that Jesus, of course, was never suggesting or recommending that, that we dishonor our parents. We get that. Always remember the basic hermeneutic of Scripture. The way that we understand the Word of God is the Bible never contradicts itself. Amen? The Bible never contradicts itself. God does not contradict himself. This, this, I love to refer to this as one book with 66 chapters, one author. Amen? So God does not contradict himself. But at the same time, God does not give us the permission to rewrite his word. And there are a few times that, I, that I've really gotten afraid that this word rationalized, that we begin to look at passages of scripture like this and we read them, and then we begin to rationalize why it couldn't mean what it so obviously seems to mean. And so this morning, as we are just simply being reminded of some truths that that all of us likely have heard before, I'm asking you, as I ask myself, let us be sure that, that we are not part of the same kind of revisionist history that we even see in our schools today. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but if you were to drop into a, a local high school history class, say... They may be teaching things a little bit differently than, than you or I heard it when we were growing up. You know what I'm talking about? And we get frustrated and we get angry and we're ready to stand behind the stars and stripes and say, that's not true, that's not right. And all the time we are bringing indictment upon ourselves because there are times that we come to the Word of God and we, in essence, try to rewrite and to 
rationalize it as well as to why it couldn't mean what it so obviously says. Obviously, we're to love our parents. We're to love our family. We're to love our spouses. We're to love our children. But as you know, the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And you think, who is this Jesus? You might think, Pastor, what version are you reading from? What is this talk about hate? My God calls us to love. Yes, but as you compare the feelings, the emotions, what you have for your family, and when it's compared to what we ought to have for Yahweh, the one true God, Jesus Christ, Jesus said, real devotion to Him compared to anybody else, it ought to look like hate. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not there yet. But I'm also saying that I'm not satisfied just to say, oh, well, one day when we get to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. God says, you be like me. You be holy because I am holy. We have all of these commandments that are so clear, but we, we try to rewrite and, and rationalize them away. My friends, this morning I'm asking you, would, would Jesus recognize Again, I'm not talking about you look at the results or the numbers from Calvary Baptist Church. As you know, one day I'm going to stand before God and I will be alone as I stand there. And one day you will stand before God and you will be alone. And so I'm not saying what is the church doing or house church downtown doing or house village church. We can celebrate all of that. But today I'm asking about you as I ask about me. Would Jesus recognize the Christianity that we are living. You know, when I uh, realized that my mom was going to be here this morning, I really debated whether or not I should share this, but I will. You know, uh, I guess a week or so ago when I called my mom and told her I was going to be going back on to active duty, uh, I did tell her before you, okay, sorry. It's a day or two before, but I did tell her before. And, uh, you know, then later... She told me a few days ago then, she told me, she said, after you told me, she said, I just, when I, she said, I just felt like I just had this, you know, kind of burning desire to talk to your dad and to tell him. And so, you know, my dad was a Marine through and through. The day that he passed away, there was still probably about two inches between every shirt hanging in his closet and Marine through and through. But I share that with you because uh, in uh, January of 2008, I still have written in the back of my Bible, was when the Lord made clear, January 9, 2008, the Lord made clear that we were called to move to Zambia. And the Lord confirmed that. I called Amy over to my office at the church. We talked. We prayed. The next day, we called the International Mission Board, and we started the long, lengthy application process and the approval process and all that of going overseas with the International Mission Board. That was in January. In February, I'll never forget the day that the phone rang and it was my parents on the phone saying that my dad had cancer. So while we were in orientation, while we were at training to go onto the mission field, while we were living in Richmond, actually Rockville, at the International Learning Center, I got another call. You need to come. And my dad passed away while we were just about two months before we moved to Zambia. 
And so I share that with you as I preach a message on a verse that said, let the dead go and bury their dead. I share that with you when when this guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. It seems reasonable. Does it not? It seems right. It even, we would say, even seems godly. Many of us today would even say it's, it's the biblical thing to do. That's what God would want you to do. So within two months, my, my mother lost her husband and her son moved about 10,000 miles away. And you know what God said? You obey me. He said, I can take care of your mother. I can take care of your family. You obey me. So I don't preach as platitudes on some high, from some high cathedral kind of a place when I speak about these things. This is hard, but it's real. It's what Jesus has called us to do. Finally, the, the last encounter there in verse 61. The Bible says, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the what? The plow and what? Looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Or some versions or translations say for the service of God. First guy loved comfort. The second was really just all about lip service, but this guy was really more interested in looking back. He volunteered. He stepped up. You know, he heard the call. We need a few good. I couldn't resist. Okay, we need a few good men. Isn't that right, John John Dale Gardner? He volunteered. He stepped up, but then he looked back. Again, be sure that those things that we say are of God never truly trump the call to die to self and to truly, radically follow Jesus. When we get those priorities out of order, then for sure what people are seeing and smelling and tasting that's coming from your life and from mine is not going to be the same Christianity the Bible said turn the world upside down. Last passage we'll look at very quickly as, as we conclude. John chapter 6, if you would, turn to a few pages there. In John chapter 6, things were going pretty well in Jesus' ministry. The crowds were, were big, to say the least. In John chapter 6, we, we see one of those many miracles of Jesus that he fed the 5,000, which we know was many more than that. People were coming and they were coming and the crowds continued to grow. He fed the 5,000, he, he walked on the sea, things were going really well. But you know what's funny, Jesus always seemed to do what is the opposite of what we would expect. We'd think he would kind of give them a good, feel-good message and send them on their way, but look what he said in John chapter 6, verse 54. 
He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. Verse 60, it says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Verse 66. From that time, my Bible says, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. What I get from this story, there are a lot of things going on here, and the point of us looking at this today as we conclude is that those that walked away, they understood what real Christianity, what it really meant to follow Jesus was actually all about. We know that Jesus himself said that there are two paths. There's a wide path and a narrow path, and we all know that on the wide path there are many people that... The way is easy, but there are a narrow path and there's only a few. You see, I wonder as we even look across this great country and we see churches and coliseums filled, are we living this kind of Christianity that Jesus was calling his early disciples to and are we living the Christianity that he continues to call us to? The same that if we really understood it, that we would at the very least, like his disciples, say, this is a hard teaching. If we really get it, I think we would say the same. In David Platt's book, Follow Me, he said this. He said, much of my life was plagued with guilt because I knew that my actions did not make sense in light of my beliefs. Many have referred to that as being a practical atheist. Meaning we we confess Christ, we believe in God, but what does our life really demonstrate? He goes on and he writes, You read the Bible and believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You You fear that those who die apart from Christ face a horrifying future. Yet for whatever reason, you've made little effort to warn your family and friends. You have neighbors and co-workers and Others that you pass daily without saying a word to them from Jesus. You look at your life and think, this doesn't make sense. Either I don't really believe the Bible or I'm extremely unloving. I'm more concerned about being rejected than I am about someone's eternal destiny. Which Jesus do you follow? Would Jesus even recognize this? But he recognized this kind of Jesus following that that we're attempting to do. Today, 
I know as I look at my life, there are things that have got to change. What about in you? Again, we will stand alone and we will stand bare before the Lord. As you all know, life is short. What are you doing and how are you living that is making a difference for the kingdom? We know everything that we do for ourselves, for this world, it will all be destroyed one day. I end with this story. There's a famous evangelist named Tony Campolo. He was even, has been somewhat controversial over the years, but, but he always chose to follow Christ and to preach the gospel wherever he went. One particular occasion, as he was speaking at a conference across the country, he, he arrived there and checked into his hotel, but due to jet lag, you know, he just, he just couldn't sleep. And so finally, about 3 a.m., and his system was all out of whack, and he just said, I've got to go try to find me something to eat. I can't sleep, and he, he was hungry and so forth. And so the only thing that was open, sure enough, Waffle House, right? Yeah. I mean, man, it doesn't matter what Waffle House you go to. It's always good. But he went to a Waffle House, and uh, as he got in there about three in the morning, and you know there was nobody else in there, and ordered his food and began to to eat. And but after some time, some some women came into the to the Waffle House, and it was pretty obvious after hearing their conversation, they were rather loud and boisterous, and it was pretty obvious what their profession was kind of ladies of the night, if you will. And so as they kind of carried on back and forth, and just as they were about to leave, one of them said, hey, you know what, tomorrow's my birthday. Then the rest of them just kind of began to, to laugh, and they said, what do you want? Do you want us to throw you a party or something? Do you want us to think we're going to make you a birthday cake? And she got kind of, of course, angry and said, no, I don't want a birthday cake. She said, I've never had a birthday cake in my life, and I don't want one now. After that, they, they paid for their, their food and, and went out. Tony just sat there a little bit longer, and he then went up to one of the waitresses and said, Hey, do those, do those women, do they come in here very often? And she just kind of smiled and said, Every night about the same time. And then he kind of had a thought. So on the next night, as he, excuse me, the next night when those women arrived there in that Waffle House at about three o'clock in the morning, it was all decorated for a birthday party. And there was a birthday cake there. And then she quickly realized what had taken place, and he introduced himself. And finally, after some questioning and some conversation, and he told them that he was a pastor, and they began to talk, and 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 discuss a little bit further, but finally the girl who, it was her birthday, she was just overwhelmed with emotion and with tears coming down her face, he said, sir, I've just got to know. He said, what kind of church do you go to? What kind of church do you pastor? She said, I've never seen or heard of anything like this. And he just kind of stopped and he looked and he thought about it for a second. And then he looked at her and he said, well, 
He said, I guess I go to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning. When you think about having church, you probably don't often think about Waffle House. But I'm going to tell you what. I, I really do believe if Jesus is walking the earth today, I think he would probably stop at Waffle House once in a while. I think he would be where real people are. He would be where people are that need to know him and they wouldn't care if there was blood or dirt on his feet. So my challenge to you as it is a challenge to me is let us live in such a way that when people pick up the Bible, they really begin to understand what Jesus really called for. That they would recognize that as biblical Christianity.